the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk A service of the Salem Media. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I mean, you've got things going on all around you and, and you wonder if this deadline's going to be met and you wonder if God is in control of the time and, and you know he's in control of you because you're a believer. But is he in control of the unsaved person who, who has to meet this deadline or has to, has to think this way or make this move or do this? No problem. If God's in control of dice and in control of an ungodly pagan man like Haman, the enemy of the Jew, then don't you think he could handle anything as far as timing goes? A friend of mine recently told me of a wedding he attended in another country. He had obligations that he needed to meet later in the evening, but since the wedding was scheduled for the afternoon, he figured there would be plenty of time to do both. He arrived just a little early and began to talk with the other people who had gathered there. He took photos of the church and some of the old acquaintances he had not seen for a while. As time went by, he learned that most of the wedding party was present, everyone that is except the bride herself. Hours passed, and still she had not arrived. Finally, after more than three hours of waiting for the wedding to begin, my friend was forced to leave the gathering in order to keep his other appointment. There are many cultures of the world that do not place the same emphasis upon time as we do here in the United States. Some people describe the difference as stemming from the fact that we are driven by a sense of achievement, while many other cultures are driven by a sense of experience. We tend to be more satisfied when we feel that we are accomplishing goals and getting things done. Other cultures find greater satisfaction in experiencing an event or relationship. And without trying to wrangle over whether one approach is better than the other, I think we can all agree about this. We here in the U.S. are more prone to worry and fret about time and the timing of events. We become so stressed about deadlines, appointments, and other scheduled events that when something arises which is out of our control, such as a car accident that brings traffic to a stop, it can cause us to really lose our cool. Thanks for joining us here on Verse by Verse today. As always, our teacher on the program is Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our current study is in the book of Esther, and Pastor Steve has been bringing out the theme of the book, which is the providential working of God. God's providence is especially evident in this story because it makes note of the various events, people, and even attitude which God used to accomplish his plan of preserving and blessing the nation of Israel. Of course, Pastor Steve has a special interest in God's dealings with the people of Israel. He is a Jewish follower of Jesus Christ. Yet the real truth is that all believers in Jesus should have an interest in the nation of Israel and how God has been dealing with them throughout history. God has a plan for Israel, and that plan must be fulfilled. 
Pastor Steve has written a book on this very topic, and it's available from us here at Verse by Verse. The title is God's Plan for Israel, and we think it makes a good companion book for this study in the book of Esther. We'll tell you more about how you can order Steve's book at the end of today's broadcast. Right now, let's join Steve as he teaches from Esther chapter 3. God used the Holocaust as the greatest single factor in pressuring the United Nations to vote in 1947 to establish a homeland for the Jew. Palestine was in the hands of England at that time. Uh, they, they did not know what to do with it. They were getting pressure from the Arabs. They were getting pressure from the other nations. They, they, didn't, know, they didn't know what to do. Ships were coming by, by uh, thousands and hundreds to Palestine with Jewish people on it, and, and uh, Britain had published what's called the White Papers, restricting Jewish immigration to about 1,500 a month. Well, that was, uh, that was like a drop in the bucket. That, that, that was nothing. Millions wanted to come, and, and they kept turning them back. They would either turn them back to, to Europe, or else they would transport them to the island of Cyprus. And there was even a famous movie made about this with the ship, the Exodus, which refused to go back and so forth. And finally, Great Britain threw up its hands, and they gave, they gave Palestine over the problem to the United Nations, and the United Nations voted in 1947 to establish a homeland for the Jew primarily because of what Adolf Hitler did. You see, God is still in the business of, of providentially protecting his people. And if, you, and if you understand a little bit of what happened then, you'll understand why Israel uh, is so strong in their concern for their own nation and will never give back the city of Jerusalem and, and all of that that's going on today in the Middle East. God has been glorified. The Jews have returned to the land. They are in the land. They will establish a peace treaty in that land with the Antichrist. Prophetic events will shape up the way God said they would, and the Lord Jesus will come to redeem Israel, and God's word will be found to be faithful. So Haman's plot, Hitler's plot, only illustrate that there's a sovereign God who is demonstrating how he is in control of everything. So Haman decided through the casting of lots when the right day would be to destroy the Jews. So back in Esther, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, we read this. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, see, now he's got to go to the king, and he's got to sell him on this plan. He knows what he wants to do, he's got, but he is the prime minister. He's not the boss. He's got to sell his plan to the king. So he says, there is a certain people. Notice he never even says the name of the Jewish people, just a certain people. And I believe that the reason he didn't say this is because Persian kings in the past before Xerxes had been very favorable to the Jewish people. Uh, Cyrus and Darius had, had been very favorable to Israel, and so Haman deceitfully does not indicate which people it is. But he says, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people, and they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. Well, he gives he levels three charges against the Jewish people. Number one, he says they're scattered and dispersed in the kingdom. In other words, they're a foreign element. They're, they're out of their domain. They don't belong here. How many times Israel has heard that? They don't belong here. They're foreign elements. They're not welcomed here. They're aliens. Get rid of them. Jew has been hounded like that. That's why they want Israel as their homeland. Number two, he says, they have different laws. In other words, they're peculiar. They don't fit in. And that's true. That's true. God has intended them to be peculiar. 
He intended ultimately that, that they would be a light of the world and people would see by their peculiar ways that uh, they would recognize the holiness of God and ultimately the Messiah. But this is what, what Haman said. They are peculiar. They don't fit in. They have different laws. And that's accurate. But the third charge is not accurate. He said they don't observe the king's laws. That is, that is not true. Has never been true for the most part of Jewish people. And now it's true that Mordecai didn't observe the laws, but one disobedient person doesn't mean the whole people are disobedient. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, you can look it up later, Jeremiah basically said, when you're in another nation, observe their laws. So Haman purposely perverted the truth. But can I show you something exciting, something really, just thrilling with the providence of God? By not telling the king the names of the people he wanted killed, Haman unwittingly is playing right into the hands of God's sovereign plan. If he mentions the name of the Jewish, the, the Jewish people, other things take place, other circumstances begin happening. But by not mentioning the name, we're going to find that Mordecai goes to Esther, and Mordecai is going to say to Esther, Esther, you've got to go to the king. You've got to tell them who you've got to tell them who you are. You've got to set up something. You've got to preserve and protect your people. And so, so all of this is being shaped up just because Haman doesn't mention the Jewish people. And by Esther concealing her identity, it all contributes to the preservation of Israel. Now, she wasn't right in doing that, but God's going to use it, even as he's going to use the sin of Haman. Haman is so determined to carry out his plan that he offers to pay a huge, incredible sum of money as a reward for those who carry out this decree. Verse 9, he says to the king, if it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. This people who I've spoken about be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasuries. You know what 10,000 uh, talents of silver is worth today? About $20 million. Maybe with inflation, maybe higher. And you might say, well, that's impossible. Where would he get so much money? Let me tell you, the Persian governors were very wealthy. And they obtain their wealth sometimes in a very illegitimate way. But I think beyond that, verse 13 is the key. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. I think that's the key. The way he, he was going to pay for this was to take everything the Jews owned. So he has no problem in coming up with $20 million. He's just going to take what belongs to the Jewish people. Well, the king thought so little about human life and so much about money. And by the way, we know from history that he needed money at this time because the royal treasuries were exhausted from his military campaigns with Greece. So he really needed a lot of money. And here's Haman says, I'm going to give you 20 million bucks. King doesn't ask, well, who are these people? Who, who are you going to wipe out? I, sh I think I shouldn't know. He has so little regard for human life that verse 10 says this. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and he gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The signet ring was like one signature. He just took it off his finger, pressed it down on soft wax, and it became the law of the land. Irreversible. The law of the Medes and the Persians. Verse 11. And the king said to Haman, the silver is yours and the people also to do with them as you please. Now, most commentators think that the king refused to accept the money. I take a different view and I'll tell you why. 
First of all, chapter 4, verse 7, Mordecai told him all that had happened. This is one of the aides to Esther. Told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. From Mordecai's perspective, Haman is going to pay $20 million. So I think that's one indication that he really did. Uh, the king did not refuse it. Secondly, in chapter 7, verse 4, that's how Esther understood it. Esther says to the king, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed. And she uses the word sold. There's money there. There's money involved. That's how she understood it. And I think the third reason for uh, believing that the king did accept the money is this. The Jewish rabbis understood this phrase, the silver is yours or it is given to you to mean this. And I quote from the uh, Jewish commentary. This is what the rabbis had to say. They quote it this way. Consider your money as having already been accepted by me and use it to execute your avowed purpose of annihilating the people in any way you wish. Just do it. I accept it, use the money, and go on and do it. Whatever it costs, just take care of it. So I don't think that the king turned it down. He said, great, take the money and use it. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and it was written just as Haman commanded to the king's satraps and to the governors who were over each province and to the princes of each people, each province according to its script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. In other words, he called all the, the scribes together and said, write this down, get it out. Send it out, write it in the language of all the people. There were 127 provinces. Some spoke different languages. There were different peoples. And so let's get going on mass communication. And the letters, verse 13 says, were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces. Now let's stop there for a moment. We know from, from historical data that Persia had the greatest Pony Express mail system uh, that has ever existed, and it, it was not... Uh, improved upon until the 1800s with the Pony Express of our own nation. So it is incredible mail system. And here's what's happening. The couriers are going all over the empire and they're sending out these letters. The letters we're speaking of destroying, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict to be issued as law in every province was published to all the people so that they should be ready for this day. In other words, get ready. This is the time you're waiting to kill all the Jewish people. Nobody survives. Incredible. Incredible. And he's giving them 11 months to plan for this. That's what's incredible, too. And verse 15 says, The couriers went out impelled by the king's command while the decree was issued in Susa, the capital, and while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. Haman and the king are satisfied. They sit down to drink while the whole city is in an uproar. Why? Why is the city in such confusion? Well, they couldn't understand. What did the Jews do to deserve this? And secondly, and I think this is the primary reason, because their thinking went like this. If the Jews are getting it in 11 months and they didn't do anything to deserve it, who's next? Maybe we're next. So they're really scared and they're confused and they're upset. But Haman, who cares little about human life, and Xerxes, who cares little about human life, sat down to drink. 
Once again, let me come back to this. Why would any thinking person send out a decree 11 months in advance of the set day of slaughter? I think that is the intent of this, this whole section. I think the, the first people reading this would understand this is incredible. God is using the pagan superstition of Haman to accomplish his will. And if that's not sovereign, I don't know what is. I mean, with their, with their scribes and their Pony Express, they could have gotten this taken care of in a matter of probably of days. Incredible. But 11 months is going to go by. He's preserving his chosen people. Now, how does that apply to us? Do you ever worry about timing? Sure, we all do. I mean, we know that God is sovereign, and we know that he can do anything he wants to do, but sometimes we begin to get anxious about whether God is going to do it at the right time, all right? I mean, you've got things going on all around you, and, and you wonder if this deadline's going to be met, and you wonder if God is in control of the time, and, and you know he's in control of you because you're a believer, but is he in control of the unsaved person who, who has to meet this deadline or has to, has to think this way or make this move or do this? No problem. If God's in control of dice and in control of an ungodly pagan man like Haman, the enemy of the Jew, then don't you think he could handle anything as far as timing goes? Let me share with you a great, great verse, great truth. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 31, verse 15. A psalm that I have used and a verse that I have used at funerals, but it goes way beyond funerals. Psalm 31, verse 15. David starts out in verse one saying, in thee, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me not be ashamed in thy righteousness. Deliver me. And he says, incline thine ear to rescue me quickly, a stronghold to save me. And he is concerned and, and somewhat anxious. And, and he's looking to the Lord. And finally, in verse, in verse 15, he just basically throws up his arms, rests in the Lord and says, my times are in thy hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me in thy loving kindness. David is resting in the not only the sovereignty of God, but the sovereign timing of God. He's saying, I don't have to fear because God knows what I need and all the events of life are in his hands and in his time. You ever hear that song? In his time, beautiful, in his time. Are you in trouble today? Are you seeking the Lord's deliverance? Are you worried about something? Is there some deadline you wonder if God's going to meet? It'll come at the right time. It may not be the time you think is right, but it'll come at the right time. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. How do we know that? Because the scriptures teach that. God was in control of all this, all the dice and all the calendars and all the superstition that was going on in the kingdom. God is never too late, and he's never too early, so don't worry. Let the word of God encourage your heart, and realize he that keeps Israel will keep you, and will keep you in the right time. Let's bow for prayer. I wonder if there's someone here who God has been speaking to. Most definitely, you're worried about timing. You, you struggle with worry. You, you wonder if, if you'll be able maybe to graduate on time from school or whether your money will come in on time to pay your bills or whether if you're looking for another job that they'll, they'll get back to you in time. And 
Listen, no problem. Because God's in control of time. Our times are in his hands, right? I hope that you can say that and affirm that in your heart. My times are in his hands. God knew what he was doing when he allowed Haman to conceive of this wicked plan. God knew what he was doing when he allowed Adolf Hitler to come up with this wicked plan. God knew at the right time prophetic things would fall into place. And God knows your, your time schedule. And God knows all the events going on in your life. I think the message of the book of Esther is rest in him. He's not only providentially protecting Israel, but he's providentially working in your life. In the ordinary, mundane things, God is in control. And you need to rejoice in that, my friends. You need to, to be glad and you need to thank the Lord and you need, to, you need to let the word of God become an internalizing factor in your life. Not just to hear the word and go out and say, oh, isn't that nice? No, it's for you. God is speaking to you. He knows your times. You rejoice in that. Thank him for it and believe the word. Father, we understand the dice may be thrown in our laps, but it's the Lord who's in control. We understand, Lord, there's no such thing as luck or fate or any of that. Help us to not, to not use those expressions because they're, they're not true. They're, they're the world's talk. Lord, we thank you for being so sovereign, for being over the times, for being in charge of the calendar for being the, the master who has taken our times and put it in his own hands. Lord, we recognize that Jesus didn't die a moment too soon or a moment too late. Even at the Passover meal, Lord, how you said, turned to Judas and said, whatever you do, do quickly. You knew what was happening. You were in control of it. You had to die as the Passover lamb that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Lord, we rejoice in just a simple, simple story like this. We see that you are in direct control of everything. Lord, we thank you. We rejoice in it. Help us the next time we're tempted to worry, to remember this, Lord, to obey its principles, to, to let it be applied to our lives. Lord, by the Holy Spirit, let your word be applied to our lives and may we be changed by it. We rejoice in you. We rejoice in your sovereign care. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God's sovereignty is a source of encouragement for all of us, and not just for the people of Israel. We know that the God we serve is the same forever. He never changes. So he is still able to work through every circumstance and even through evil plans to achieve his purposes. Yet this knowledge of God's providence and sovereign control also comes with a challenge. We are called to let go of our worry and rest completely in God's perfect plan. We must not only trust in his great power, but also in his precise timing. This requires faith and patience during great calamities as well as in the frustrating little details of life. And Steve, as we seek to saturate our lives and minds with this sense of resting in God's control, it should touch every part of our lives, shouldn't it? You mentioned in an earlier broadcast that we need to examine the very words that we use, even the ones that we use casually. 
I think we'd be wise to do that. I, I don't want to split hairs on that. If somebody, I, I hear believers using words like that. I don't feel it's my job to always correct them um, on that. Sometimes I think it is if I know them well enough. But I think what we say reveals our hearts. And um, words are important and words reflect thinking. I think we ought to have the right thinking and let our words express express that. I, I try not to use words like uh, like I mentioned the series, Luck and Coincidence. Although, I will say, years ago, after preaching on this, a lady came up to me and she said, uh, I'm Miss Fortune. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, my maiden name was Fortune, so I was Miss Fortune. I said, well, you're allowed to use that, but others uh, have to be careful. I just think that the, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. I think we ought to be careful because our wor- when we use words like that, it indicates that we have not really come to grips with the fact that God is involved in every aspect. I think I think that's a subtle form of worldliness without people being necessarily um, aware of that. And thinking about our words should cause us to think about those underlying philosophies. Hopefully, we'll come to acknowledge God's control more consistently. Thanks, Steve. At the start of today's broadcast, we mentioned the book that Steve has written entitled God's Plan for Israel. It includes a careful study of Romans 9 through 11 and incorporates both of the themes we have uncovered in Esther, God's sovereignty and his purpose in preserving Israel. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.